Each year, more than 12 million people will hear the same three devastating words. You have cancer. I'm Lee Silverstein, a survivor of pediatric kidney cancer and stage four colon cancer. My amazing wife, Linda, has taught me that we have cancer because every one of us is affected by it in some way. Survivors, family, friends, and medical and support team members. And we all have a story worth telling. Welcome to We Have Cancer. Welcome to episode 140 of We Have Cancer. Thank you so much for joining us. We're going to talk caregivers this week, a topic that we get a lot of requests to cover, and we've had many on the show, but it's been some time. My guest this week is Candice Draw, and you can follow Candice on Instagram at candy underscore coded. I'll spell that for you. That's K-A-N-D-I underscore K-O-A-T-E-D. And Candy has worn many caregiver hats, and that's what makes her story really uh, interesting and inspiring, too. She served not only as a caregiver for her mother during her cancer journey, but at the same time was also the caregiver for her younger siblings. And you talk about a challenge of how to wear and and juggle multiple caregiver hats. You're going to get a lot of what that was like during my conversation with Candy and also about, you know, where does someone who is devoting so much time and so much energy to care for so many, how do they care for themselves? I know you'll find this conversation not only informative, but also inspiring. Join me now for my conversation with Candace Draw. Candace, welcome to We Have Cancer. I really appreciate you reaching out to me to share your story and uh, so many people say, yeah, we've heard you interview caregivers on on your podcast. Can you interview some more? So thank you for that. <laughs> thank you. I'm glad to, to be here. I'm glad to be speaking about being a caregiver. So it's been five years since your mom passed. Do I have that right? Yes, it has. That's correct. And, you know, the first thing I wanted to ask you is, you know, as you reflect back on on the whole experience, taking care of your mother. What do you wish you knew that you didn't know when you were suddenly thrust into that caregiver role? I wish I had known that there were so many resources available for people who were in that position. I didn't know that. And and another thing that I wish I would have known is how, how vitally important it is to uh, reach out to other people who are going through the same thing. Because I think that, you know, when you build relationships and you're with other people who have experienced what you've experienced, either having taken care of a parent or currently doing it, it really helps strengthen you to continue going through that type of that that type of experience. I also did not realize there were so many support groups and there were so many different organizations that were there, you know, just specifically for cancer and for caregivers. That. You know, that's a good segue because in one of the articles where I read you shared your story, there was a quote that just really touched me. And you said, if you're not pouring into you, you're not pouring into anybody else. What did you mean by that? 
Well, what I meant was, is that, you know, people can't, you can't give when you're empty yourself. And if you're not constantly replenishing you, because being a caregiver takes a lot out of you, not only mentally, but emotionally. So it's like you, if you don't constantly have either a good support group or a good group of friends, or you aren't surrounded by, I guess, people who are encouraging you or you're not, you know, able to, you know, to look after you, you really don't have anything to give. And you were pretty candid in these conversations in saying that perhaps if you were to do it over again, you would have done a bit of a better job taking care of you. Yes, I would have. Through this process, if I had that right. Yeah, you know, you do. Because, you know, not only did I, well, my mother was sick three and a half years. So over that time period, uh, well, number one, I was laid off. So, and then that very same year, she ended up getting sick. So it was oh, I'm steady looking for, you know, a new job, a new position. And then all of a sudden one day, bam, your mom has cancer. It was kind of, you know, one of those where, you know, you have to be put aside. And then, you know, my, my focus really became on, you know, her and, you know, being a caregiver, there's a financial downside to that. I mean, very few people that I know that are caregivers can work a 40 hour week plus take care of a parent. Mm. Some people can't do it at all. So, there that and, and that that's hard on a person because you know not only did I was that an issue but then it's the stress of dealing with the stress of dealing with a loved one or if you're a parent taking care of a child you go through a lot you know mentally emotionally you know sometimes you don't sometimes you don't sleep you know if you're if they're up at night you have to give up you know it's 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 very very hard and it's very very taxing and you know I I ended up over like a three-year period gaining about 50 pounds because I was so stressed out because I was so just not able to, I guess, to function. Again, I wasn't working, so I didn't really have the resources to go out and get a gym membership. I didn't have that. So, you know, it, it was a lot just, you know, focusing on, you know, taking care of her. And she wasn't the only one you were taking care of during this, what was she? No, she wasn't. No. I had two younger siblings at home, so... When she got sick, my brother was just turning five and my little sister was about 10 or 11. So, you know, it was, you know, I went from, you know, like I said, normal life to, okay, well, you got to see if your mom's okay. Plus you got to get them to school. Plus you got to feed them. Plus you got to, you know, make sure their activities, you know, make sure life stays as normal as possible when they're young children. So that it was, it was a dual role and you constantly, constantly having, you know, your parents saying something to you because there were days my mom was very demanding, very, you know, angry because she was in a lot of pain. So it's not just, you know, dealing with her. It's okay. Once she's okay. Okay. I got to run here. I got to run there. Oh, we don't have any food. I got to go do this, do that. So, and it was lugging my two siblings right behind me. And, you know, that was my life. Wow. Major challenge. I mean, you're you're really you know you're you're being you know caregiver. You're being daughter. You're being parent all at the same time. Yes. You know, I'm, I'm a little bit of, you know I'm the interviewer and I'm a little bit at a loss <laughs> at a loss for words. Just you yes. know comprehending what a challenge that was. But you also talked about that this experience at a certain point 
helped you bond even better with your mother? Yes, because like all, you know, mother-daughter relationships can have very, very difficult dynamics sometimes. You know, I really don't know many (laughs) that, you know, oh, we get along all the time. You know, no, you know, you have those issues. And it wasn't, me and my mother had those type of issues, but I can tell you that there were moments where she, well, and and let me go back a little bit. Being a caregiver, you get a lot of the, the anger, the sadness that they experience. You know, it's because, you know, I don't have, I, I don't, I'm not fighting a major illness, so I don't know what that feels like, you know, but I know that when she heard it, like, it almost like I was hurting too. And then when she would lash out, well, I would lash out back at her. And then it's like, it's nothing but a bunch of hurt feelings, but I would say the last year and a half of her life, we did more bonding than I ever thought we could. I mean, there were days where, you know, we we would laugh all day long and we did a lot of laughing. And then we, um, I would, she, I took her one day, my mother decided, oh, we need to get away. Let's go get, take the kids. Let's go to a hotel. And so I ended up doing that with with her but again it was looking after her siblings but it was it was a bonding moment you know and you know to hear you know your mom say how proud she was of you how how proud she was of me how happy she was that I stuck in there with her and how I you know how she was very proud of me she made a lot of mistakes but she she raised me you, you know well she was very very proud and really that's all you want to hear you just want to hear that you're proud of your and you appreciate what I was doing. That's all I wanted to hear. Sure. As you think back to those three and a half years, what's the fondest memory? The fondest memory I would say was when she went to she went to Cancer Treatment Centers of America. And um, I'm I'm in Chicago, so the closest one would be in Zion, which is on the Wisconsin border. And I would say when she had her first when my mother had her first procedure that night, she had a lot of complications. So I ended up having to take her right back to the emergency room. And there was a shuttle that took us from the hotel and took us back to the hospital. And then by this time she was screaming in pain, whatever. And I was, I was panicking. I was like, I don't know what to do. Somebody come help us, you know? And by the time that, you know, they gave her, you know, what, what she needed, you know, the pain medication or whatever, she was able to, they were able to sedate her. We stayed a couple of hours and then I ended up getting her back to the hotel. But the fondest memory was, was when we were riding back in the shuttle and I was helping her sit down and then she just reached up and hugged me. She didn't say anything. She just hugged me. And then I was like, okay, mom, I'm in the way. Like I can't block the aisle. Like other people are getting on. And then as I sat down, she put her hand in my hand, she put her arm around my arm and she laid on my shoulder. That was the fondest memory. That sounds like a wonderful example of action speaking louder than words. It was. It, it was. I can't see you, but it I was. can hear in your voice you're smiling. Oh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, because that, you know, when I'm talking about it now, you know, my mother wasn't that way. She was, you know, she she was affectionate, but I mean, when you... It's kind of like the words that you don't hear. Mm-hmm. It's like she was telling, showing me how grateful she was. I can see why that's a fond memory. On yes. the flip side, you also talked about some of the decisions she made about her treatment 
that it sounded like was very difficult for you to accept, but you did it anyway. I did it anyway. I well, I'm not going to say it was that easy because oh no, there are five oh no, <laughs> no, <I'm>, <laughs> oh no, <laughs> I'm not going to sit here and say oh well, I was okay. No, 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 there was a lot of back and forth and discussion, and you know. Like I said, there are, I have five siblings. There's three olders and there's two younger ones. And, you know, the younger two, they were in their own world. But the three of us were like, okay, mom, are you serious right now? She didn't want to do chemo. That was the issue, right? She did not. She did not want to do chemo. And because they had diagnosed her cancer in the fourth stage, they, she felt like if she had done chemo, that would have taken her down faster. So she decided to do an alternative route, but we're like, okay, we're looking at the numbers and we're looking at what the doctor is saying. We're like, okay, you can't just do herbs and, you know, potions. You're going to have to do something else. But, and that discussion went on, I want to say for months. Mm. It even went on, you know, when, and, and, but I had a friend of the family who passed me a, a card one day I was at church, I was leaving and she passed me a card and she said to me, you may not, you know, understand, you know, your mother's decision, but, you know, at this point, you know, you have to accept it, accept that this is how she wants to deal with it. And my mind changed then. And I just decided not to fight it anymore. I decided to just say, okay, this is what you want to do. So it was months and months of going around to different homeopathic doctors. It was tons of researches. You know, she went completely vegan. And I will say that she did see drastic improvements. I'm not going to say that, you know, doing natural was a bad thing. It did help her. Um, and I really believe that it extended her life longer because, again, like I said, it had spread to her liver when she was diagnosed. But she made it, you know, an additional three and a half years. And, you know, if you know anything about ovarian cancer, that's a that can take you down fast. Because mm-hmm. by the time a woman gets diagnosed with that, it's it's in the late stages. So, you know, the natural route wasn't something that I was a fan of at all, but I let it go once I realized this is what she was comfortable with. So was this before or after she was involved with Cancer Treatment of America? This was before. She did cancer treatments uh, the year before she passed. I see. I see. Okay. I was trying to reconcile the t- the timeline there. Gotcha. Yes. Be sure to stick around to the end of this episode to learn how you can get your rear in gear. And then she passed and then you, then you had a new challenge and that was processing her passing and dealing with the grief. Talk to me a little bit about that. Well, again, I was the person who, you know, did everything, you know, (laughs) Um, my father, you know, my parents were still married. He, he worked. Um, and I want to say that those were some of the most challenging days. Some days I I look back, I don't even know how I made it. When, when having to deal with the grief at first was easy because I want to say that I was just making plans. Um, you know, you make funeral arrangements, you, Make sure the kids have stuff to wear. You make sure you're out of town. Guess it was still, you know, a lot of all of that, the hustle and bustle. But I'm going to say the days when, you know, family is gone and I just dropped the kids off at school and I'm sitting at home. And there were days that I was just sitting, I was just laying in bed and cry all day long 
there were times where, and, and I had to close the door to her bedroom because I couldn't go in it. It just was making me too, you know, it was making me so upset. And then there were days where I was, I would be driving, a song would come on, they remind me of her, and then I would start crying again. So, you know, grief is, is, is funny in that it, you're okay one minute and then the next minute you're not. You think that you've gotten to a plateau where, okay, everything is not going to make me cry. And then something happens and here you are again. So, I mean, what I did it eventually was, you know, once I, you know, got therapy, I just decided to, you know, allow myself to grieve because I think that with the hustle and bustle of being a caregiver, sometimes you don't sit down and, you know, when you really process everything, it's like, you know, this, this is a lot. One of the things I found interesting was that it seemed like it was, you were quick to, you weren't hesitant to seek therapy, but you also talk about the stigma of therapy in the African-American community. Yes. Uh, Tell me a little bit about that. Well, I was raised and as most, you know, black, you know, as as most African-Americans were, were taught to not trust therapy, that it wasn't something that would have worked anyway. And there's this stigma in our community. There's a stigma in our community as a whole that, you know, you don't go to therapy, you go to church. Mm. You know, you talk to Jesus and nobody else. Mm. So a lot of times there were things that would happen, you know, and, and this is, again, this is the race as a whole. There were, there could be things that are happening in the family and you're just taught not to talk about it. You're taught that what happens in the house stays in the house. You don't go running your mouth, seeking outside anything, you know. And, oh, they're just going to pump you up with a bunch of medication and you're not going to, you know, be yourself and you're not going to be able to function. And, you know, this is what I grew up with. Mm-hmm. And I decided, you know, one day and, and, I, and I, I, I say this all the time. I was listening to Moody Radio in Chicago is 90.1. And they said that if you if you're going through something, if it's a dark time for you right now or you need help, please call. And I said, what's the point? You know, why why should I do that? But the more I listened to the program, I said, okay, well, it can't hurt. They're not going to know who I am. So anyway, I made the phone call. And then in 24 hours, because they had, believe it or not, such a high volume of callers that it took them at least a day or two to get back to you. But when, when they finally did call me back and I was able to talk to them. So, and and again, it was a licensed clinical therapist that talk to me about my issue and, and, and things that I was going through, not just dealing with the grief, but also having to raise my two siblings. Sure. You know, cause when my mom died, they were eight and 13. And again, I'm, you know, I have a, a, my little sister was going, was just going into high school. So I had to, you know, and it was dealing with that. And it was, it was, it was so bad for me sometimes, you know, mentally how, emotionally how I was feeling. And, you know, not only did they help me, you know, they sent me resources to help me, you know, get through it. And it wasn't just Bible verses again, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, it was okay. This, this website will help you. These are some things that you can do to help you cope. You can do therapeutic journaling. Have you ever tried that? You know, things that I had never even heard of. And I'm thinking, well, I know how to journal, but what is therapeutic journaling? And when I found out, okay, that really, you know, it, it, it really, really changed how I viewed everything. And then how they told me, well, we can set you up with the therapist in your area, you know, and they give you a list of resources. 
So once I did that, that's when I started um, at Chicago Christian Counseling. And then I stayed there for two years and then I used another website, you know, called Therapy for Black Girls. And that's when I, you know, and I, and I say now to anyone who is going through stuff, it's, it's really okay to reach out for help. I didn't think that it was, but I took a step and I said, I have to, I have to do this. So I'm the one that broke the stigma in my family. If one of your friends asked you, what's that therapy all about? You know, what would you want them to know that would help somebody else break the stigma? Well, I would want them to know that it's it's okay to ask for help, I, and it's okay to to seek to seek outside resources. Um, I also want to point out that therapy does not answer all of your issues. You know, you it doesn't always solve a problem, but it helps you. It gives you coping mechanisms, and then you have to do the work yourself. And I would tell my friend that you know it's it's worth it. It's, it's worth it. Like, you know, my friend, one of the, my really, really good friends said, hey, we could all stand and go lay down on a couch. So. So what is therapeutic journaling? Because I know someone's listening and heard you say that and they're probably going, well, what is that? Well, therapeutic journaling is a way to get out all of your thoughts. Well, uh, I guess a better example would be, is there something that you want to say to someone that's no longer living or is there something that you want to say, period, that you can't say? And, you know, therapeutic journaling is writing it all out. Like every little single solitary thing you may want to tell somebody. And once you've written it all out, in some cases you pray over it. Other cases you say, okay, now I can release this and let this go. And then you, you tear it up and you throw it away. Oh, so you symbolically rid yourself of that. Yes, you rid yourself. And sometimes as they, as I was instructed, you have to do that many times, mm-hmm. many times. And, but once you're done and once you get it all out, you tear it up and you let it go. You let it go. That's pretty powerful. Yes, it was. And, you know, my mom, and, and that's one of the things that I, I have to say too, is that, you know, you know, parents aren't perfect. They make mistakes. But, you know, when my mother apologized to me, it's like a weight let, you know, when it's like a weight lifts off of you. So you really had, and you really had two powerful moments, that apology and that, uh, you know, that, that, that hug and that embrace uh, on the shuttle back to the hotel. Yes. And, and then it was nothing but jokes the whole next day <laughs> <laughs> between the two of us. But yeah, it, to, to know that, you know, you know, once she passed, unfortunately, she had a stroke from she went she ended up catching a blood infection, which caused a stroke. And I remember um, standing in ICU and I write about this. I remember standing in ICU and holding her hand. And my little sister was she didn't want to come in, but I remember standing there and I remember thinking I have no regrets. This was the hardest thing I ever had to do. But, you know, currently in my life, but I don't have any regrets. Like, you know, it's, it's, it's powerful when you realize, you know, you did the right thing. And I'm guessing that that brings you a sense of comfort as well, Candace. It did. It did. Very much so. So when you and your, and your younger siblings, you know, are sitting around and thinking of mom, what do you talk about? Well, the first year it was difficult. 
nobody wanted to do anything. It was just like, you go to your corner, you go to your corner. Like, we didn't even want to do anything. But because the holidays, it started to become painful, you know. Mm-hmm. Oh, this is the first Thanksgiving with that. This is the first Christmas. This is Mother's Day. And so I, I'm just going to say for myself that the first year, I mean, I was so sad. And But like I said, again, I had a good support system to help me. I had a friend make me a cake. Mm. I had another friend check on me. You know, people that knew what was going on, you know, they, they, with me, they, they knew to reach out to me, but now we celebrate. If it's her birthday, we'll go out to a place that she, you know, one of her favorite restaurants or we'll sit around and we'll say, okay, well, what mom wanted to do today? You know, mother's day and we'll, we'll talk about that. So, and then, and then we'll do it. So now it makes it more enjoyable. You know, it's more of a celebratory moment, but it, but it was a journey to get to that point. It was, it was at least it was, it was a two year journey. It was a two year journey because the day would come and I know this sounds crazy, but I would be out on mother's day and I would see everybody with their mother and I would get upset. I would get upset. I would lash out at people. I mean, it's not your fault. You know, it's, you know, it's just how I'm feeling, Right. you know, and I realized then, no, I, I can't, you know, I have to stop. So it was a two year journey to, to even get out of the mind space of, you know, being angry and get from, and go from that to wanting to celebrate. Really powerful story, and again, as as I said when we started this conversation, Candice, uh, it's, it's oftentimes topics like these aren't easy to talk about, and I know in my heart there is no doubt that there is at least one person that's going to listen to what you've shared with me, and uh-huh. it's going to make it make their experience easier, without a doubt. So thank you for that. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to share. You're welcome, and I hope you be well. Thank you. You do the same. Colon Cancer Coalition has wrapped up its events for 2019, but registration is now open for the first two Get Your Rear in Gear 5K Run Walk One Mile Fun Run events that take place in 2020. Those dates are for February the 23rd for our friends in Tucson, Arizona, and on Saturday, February 29th for our friends in Austin, Texas. For more information on these and other upcoming events in 2020, check out the Colon Cancer Coalition's website at coloncancercoalition.org. Thank you for listening to We Have Cancer, and thank you to our sponsor, the Colon Cancer Coalition, for your support. You can subscribe to We Have Cancer by visiting Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, or Spotify. And you can find us on social media by visiting our Facebook page at We Have Cancer Show and at We Have Cancer Pod on both Instagram and Twitter. We Have Cancer is a proud supporter of Genie's Blue Angels, providing financial support to those affected by colorectal cancer.